Kluwen Lighthouse stands a huge 56 metres above sea level, where the Indian and Southern Oceans meet at the most southwesterly point of Australia. Its tall white tower stands out strongly against its stunning natural surrounds, which include the Lewin Naturalist National Park and Flinders Bay. The lighthouse is rich in history with stories of shipwrecks, hauntings and eccentric staff. Caretaker and tour supervisor Paul Sophilis takes us into the lighthouse to share just a few of these timeless tales. It was built in the 1890s. There was a need seen for the uh, lighthouse to be placed here. Three quarters of Australia's international shipping was going past here when it was built and it's a very dangerous coastline. There's shallow submerged rock stretching out from the shoreline up to seven kilometres. We get massive waves up to eight metres high breaking on that shallow rock. We've got 32 days on average during a year when the winds are over 100 kilometres an hour, which is cyclone or hurricane strength, and winds get up to 160 kilometres an hour. With diverging currents, big swells and all those other conditions I mentioned, it is one of the world's most dangerous coastlines. So it was very important to build a lighthouse here. Well, we had 22 shipwrecks before it was built, but just one since. It occurred in March 1910. And it's a very interesting shipwreck because it's the largest passenger liner to have sunk off the coast of Australia. The ship was named the Pericles. It was operated and owned by the White Star Line that two years later lost the Titanic. Now this ship was fairly new and it was the first ship to ever be built with freezers. So it used to come from England with passengers, up to 500 passengers, and it would go back full of, with passengers but also with its holds, its freezers and cool rooms full of primary products for England. And in March 1910 it left Melbourne with just under 500 passengers and crew on board, 32,000 carcasses of frozen mutton. It had hundreds or thousands of tonnes of sealed containers of butter and Tasmanian apples and pears in boxes. So lots of primary products. So it left Melbourne, it was heading around Cape Lewin for Fremantle for a short stop on its way to England. But when the ship was about eight kilometres south of the lighthouse, they struck an uncharted object, and within two and a half hours it completely sank. The keeper looked at the lifeboats, which looked like they might be heading to the western side of the cape, out of the way of the wind. But the keeper thought that if the lifeboats brought people in onto the rocky western side, people coming from lifeboats onto wet rocks could slip, fall and drown. So on the other eastern side of the cape, on a corner beach, the keepers lit fires with kerosene, that guided those lifeboats safely to shore and they managed to rescue everybody on board. One of our main stories, I suppose, is in the cottage closest to the lighthouse. About 1909, one of the keeper's wife, who was in her 30s, was expecting a child. I believe she was about five or six months pregnant. She hopped onto a chair to adjust a curtain in one of the rooms and she fell. And the doctor couldn't get out straight away and a couple of days later she got quite ill. And then she ended up, after a few days, passing away due to septicemia, some sort of blood poisoning. Her, her life was lost, as was the child that she was carrying. People used to walk past the house and ask us, especially ladies with little kids or pregnant women, if there was anything unusual about the house, because they said they'd feel drawn to it. Quite often at night, I'd notice a light coming on in one particular room. I'd go and turn it off and it'd come on again. And guides, once we had access to that house as a lunchroom, would notice that doors in this particular room would be open as they walked in for lunch, the light off, 
Then they did the door close and the light would be on. And I had three guys that were working on the lighthouse once stay there. One of them had one of those uh, games that you play, electronic games, and during the night that was coming on like someone was playing it with no one playing it. And they're ex-crayfishermen who aren't wusses. When I went over after a few days, they mentioned they'd get up in the night, they'd hear this machine, this electronic game playing with no one playing it. And the type of gentleman they were, I doubt if they would have brought that story up unless there was some truth to it. So it depends what you believe in, but we seem to think that that closest cottage does have some sort of presence in it. Lighthouse man, you can't help us all. Some are saved and some will fall. So we're out here on the balcony now. It's actually not as windy as I thought it would be, but can you describe to us what we can see from this point? Well, when we're looking north from the lighthouse, from the balcony, we're 32 metres above the ground, so it is the tallest mainland lighthouse, so we've got a pretty good bird's eye view. But we're looking back from the extreme southwest corner of Australia to the mainland, the ridge over in one direction, and over to the right, Flinders Bay, that's the south coast of Australia with the southern ocean, and over to the left, we've got the west coast of Australia and the Indian Ocean. So it's two coasts, two oceans meeting here, and when we look back at the ridge, it's a national park, so nothing's pretty much changed with that view since the lighthouse was built. You can see Quarry Bay, about a kilometre north, Lovely spot, that's where they got the limestone from for the lighthouse. And just to one side, a little bit closer, a low area, which is the Lewin Spring, which has been supplying water to this uh, site since 1895. So with the water wheel, the Lewin Spring used to fill up a swamp between the cape and the ridge behind it. And that water would run naturally into the uh, western side of the cape, into the Indian Ocean. So it was directed down to sort of a plume or what you'd now call a duct, over a wheel, a big wooden wheel like a paddle steamer wheel. As the water ran over it, it turned the wheel and that operated a system almost like an old piston and water would go into the piston, then when the wheel went around it would compress that water and push it up a pipe and eventually that pipe would take that water to the site of the lighthouse. And that system operated till 1928 but now the water wheel's still there. I believe it's one of the few remaining water wheels. It doesn't work, but the lime in the water is encasing it, so it's fossilising, it's turning to stone. The surrounds of the Lewin Lighthouse are as fascinating and popular as the lighthouse itself. One particular attraction is the Cape to Cape track. The track runs for 135 kilometres along the Lewin Naturalist Ridge between the Cape Lewin and Cape Naturalist Lighthouses. It features spectacular coastal and forest scenery, a fascinating geology and history, and beautiful wildflowers in spring. The Cape to Cape track lies wholly within the Lewin Naturalist National Park and takes about five or six days to complete the walk. A lot of people, if it's opening hours, like to touch the lighthouse at the start or at the finish of their walk. They've got five or six days to do the walk. Some spend longer. We've had a couple of people run it in a few days or a couple of days. But they get to see some amazing coastline from the beach level, from cliffs. They go through carry forests at Baranup. They go through coastal dunes. They see lots of wildflowers. Obviously, when they're going north or south, for a big part of the year, they're seeing the migration of whales. They get to see lots of wildlife, as in... Lizards, snakes, kangaroos, echidnas. 
They also get to see lots of birds, like uh, we've got western rock parrots down here that are quite rare, lots of other seabirds. So all the senses that you can experience, I think they can experience on that Cape Walk. We all need a lighthouse for our home. I've heard legends, now I don't know if it's true, but I've heard legends of a lighthouse keeper here that either used to be here or or someone who still works here that wears shorts for 365 days of the oh. year. <laughs> Who's that? That sounds like me. I've actually, <laughs> I've gone more formal the last couple of years, but I think you have to be slightly eccentric to work at a lighthouse for the 12 years I have. So I got it in my mind after the first year because when you're climbing, you do get quite warm inside the tower. And with a Lewin current, unless you've got a southerly chill, it can be quite warm in winter. So, yeah, I set myself a goal, and for six years I didn't wear, sh- uh, I didn't wear trousers at all. And then we did have a fairly bitterly cold day, so I relented and wore trousers. And now, um, in winter, I do wear trousers. But, yeah, there was a long time that I didn't wear trousers at all. I just wore shorts. So I don't know if I was um, brave or mad, but I think you have to be a character to work here. Um, all the people that work here bring a lot of character to the job. But I think that's also a good part of visiting the lighthouse is that the people here love working here. We get on really well and we've also got a bit of character which we bring to the job. And I think you'll probably find that at most lighthouses where there's tours, the guides are characters with lots of good stories and that adds to the experience when people visit. (laughs) 